0: We are continuing our way through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 15 this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, uh, this is on page 237. Uh, If you remember, uh, the book of 1 Samuel was given to the people of God uh, to prepare them uh, and to turn their their hopes and their focus uh, and their, their longings and their desires on the King of God's own choosing. The one that he would bring. Uh, not a savior and deliverer that they've selected for themselves. Uh, we've seen that God has been trying to prepare and show his people the foolishness uh, and how unsatisfying any uh, deliverer of our own choosing would be. Uh, this morning we're going to see that although uh, God has, uh, has placed Saul uh, over the people, even though they chose him, uh, he did that to discipline his people and to show them the, the foolishness of, of selecting him. Uh, Now comes the time where God uh, will officially uh, reject Saul as being that king uh, and begins to pave the way for the bringing of uh, the king of God's own choosing, David. Uh, But for us, remembering our hope and our longing is on the ultimate king of God's own choosing, the one of whom David was only a foreshadowing, uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, And so we need to give our hearts and our attention to hearing Submitting to and listening to the teaching of God's Word from 1 Samuel this morning. So if you would, look with me there in chapter 15. We're going to look at the whole uh, chapter together this morning. So beginning there in verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, Yahweh sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim: 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of Yahweh came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to Yahweh all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you in Yahweh, uh, for I have performed the commandment of Yahweh. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, "Uh, They brought them up from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to Yahweh your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction." And Samuel said to Saul, "'Stop, I will tell you what Yahweh said to me this night.' And he said to him, "'Speak.' And Samuel said, "'Though you are little in your own eyes, "'are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? "'Yahweh anointed you king over Israel, "'and Yahweh sent you on a mission and said, "'Go, devote to destruction the sinners, "'the Amalekites, "'and fight against them until they are consumed.' Why then did you not obey the voice of Yahweh? Why did you pounce on the spoil and not do and, and do what is evil in the sight of Yahweh? And Saul said to Samuel, "I have obeyed the voice of Yahweh. I have gone on the mission on which Yahweh sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to Yahweh your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, He has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of Yahweh and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may bow down before Yahweh. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of Yahweh, and Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and tore it, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow down before Yahweh your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed down before Yahweh. Then Samuel said, "'Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites.' And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, "'Surely the bitterness of death is past.' And Samuel said, "'As your sword has made women childless, "'so shall your mother be childless among women.' And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before Yahweh and Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and Yahweh regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let's pray. Our God and king, we thank you that uh, you are the sovereign ruler over all things and especially of your people. Uh, we pray now that as you rule over us through your word and through your spirit uh, that you would uh, continue your great work. You know how prone we are to long for uh, other, other gods, other saviors, other deliverers. Turn, turn our hearts fully to you. May we hope and rest only in Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you noticed as we're reading through this uh, chapter, uh, a portion of it is formatted differently than the rest of it. It goes from general narrative paragraph structure to in verses 22 and 23. It looks... uh, uh, more like poetry as it's uh, formatted in your uh, in your Bible, um, and that's because that's the way it was in the in the original. Uh, this this these two verses are more stylized in their in their language. It's different and it's set apart. The author, the way that he's written and recorded it here, is drawing our attention to these two verses reason why is because these two verses in fact help us and give us the, the, the guidelines in which to interpret this entire chapter. As it's drawing our attention to the importance for God's people and God's king, the importance of obedience. But also it's drawing our attention to see how serious we must take our sin. Notice how that comes out in these, uh, these two verses. Has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Obedience is important. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, He also has rejected you from being king. The seriousness of sin. Uh, th- that's, that's how we want to look at this chapter this morning. To see how God is seeking to instruct and show His people how important obedience is, and also how serious we must take and evaluate and approach our sin. So let's, uh, let's look at, at it from those, those two angles. First, the importance of obedience. The first thing that we see that comes out in this chapter is uh, why obedience is so important is because the commands that were given come from God Himself. You, you see throughout uh, this chapter how much focus is brought uh, to the reality and the truth that these are not instructions and commands that come from men, they come from God. Uh, look in, in verse 1. Samuel says, listen to the words of Yahweh. Verse 2, thus says Yahweh of hosts. In verse 3, it tells us that what we're dealing with here is the commandment of Yahweh. In verse 18, it's Yahweh who sent Saul on a mission. In verse 19, The importance of obeying the voice of Yahweh. Again, in verse 20, it talks about the voice of Yahweh. In verse 22, the voice of Yahweh. In verse 23, the word of Yahweh. In verse 24, the commandment of Yahweh. Again, in verse 26, the word of Yahweh. Whose commandments are these? Where are they coming from? They are coming from God Himself. No mere man the Creator and Maker of all things, the King and Ruler over the universe, and especially over His people. Why is it important that we obey our God? Because these commands come from Him to us. Here in this chapter, they're coming through His authorized spokesperson, Samuel, the appointed prophet. Now, today, for us as the people of God, we are... Still hearing from our God through His Word. Remember, we do not understand the the, the Scriptures to be myth. This is what Tim talked about earlier. Adam isn't just some mythical guy. He's this historical, created man. The representative of all humanity that was given commands and instructions by His Creator. We must see and recognize and understand that obedience to the commands of God are important because they come directly from Him to us. But notice as well, obedience is important because our obedience is a delight to our God. Did you see that over in verse 22? Has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Here, it's showing and and telling us God takes great delight in the obedience of His people. It pleases Him when we obey Him. We see the flip side of it as well, that it brings God grief when we don't obey Him. Look over in verse 11. "'I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments.'" That word here that's translated regret shows up three times in this chapter. shows up here in verse 11. It shows up again in verse uh, 29, and then it shows up again in verse 35. This is a word that, uh, depending on the context, can, uh, can have a different emphasis and meaning. Here, the translators of the ESV have chosen to translate it consistently with the same word each time. Regret, regret, regret. But depending on the context, it could mean grief and sorrow. And in fact, here in verse 11, that's what it means. The, over, over Saul's disobedience, over his rejection, and, and the, the implications and the consequences that it's brought upon his people. God has grieved over that. He has grieved over Saul's lack of obedience and response. No, it, it, Regret and that word carries that understanding of grief as long as you don't connect it to error or sin. Sometimes when we have regret and grief, it's because of something we've done wrong. Here, that is not what it's, it's talking about. It's talking about God's grief and his sadness over Saul, Saul's disobedience. Later in verse 35, uh, or verse 29, in case you thought that there was a. Uh, a contradiction here. It says in verse 29, And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Also in, in different contexts, that word can also be translated and, uh, and is understood as changes, changing one's mind. Here it takes that context here because we'll talk about this a little bit later, but in this place, uh, Saul is really uh, resisting the removal of, of the kingship from him. And that's shown in his trying to keep Samuel from going away. Give it back, and it tears his robe. And that's when Samuel says, no, God will not change his mind. This judgment on you is sure. So it's not contradictory. It's just used in different ways, in different contexts, but that shows up. But all that to say, to go back, disobedience grieves our God. Here, he's, he, he's saying, what is most important to me is that you obey. Notice what Saul and the, and the people were doing. The command was devote all of it to destruction. All of the, the people of the Amalekites and all of their stuff, the camels, the, the sheep, the donkeys, all of it. Uh, but Saul comes up and, and, he, and it even points it out. Notice what, they, what it says in verse 9. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. They kept what was good. It was just the, the junky stuff that they got rid of. And when confronted about it, and we'll touch on this in a little bit too, uh, Saul's response is, oh, we were going we to sacrifice it to you. That's why we kept the good stuff. It, It's like giving a a kid instructions and saying we've just baked these cookies and they're in this cookie jar. Do not touch the cookies. We're saving them till later. That is the instruction you've been given. A little bit later, you walk into the kitchen. You see a kid has climbed all the way up on the chair, reaching across the counter, has their hand in the cookie jar, caught in disobedience. What's their response? Uh... I was getting one for you. Oh, well, that's great. I love cookies. But you know what? I desire more in this moment. It's for you to obey me. That's what God is saying here. That's Saul's response and the response of the people caught. They're trying to shift it to something else. God says, no, I delight in obedience. Is sacrifice a good thing? Are these offerings a good thing? Yes, cookies are a great thing. But I didn't ask you for cookies in this moment. They are, have chosen to make an excuse saying they're doing something else to, to give them uh, permission in their own minds to justify their disobedience. God says, no. I delight more in your obedience than the goodness of this sacrifice in this moment. This is something that, that sometimes we may uh, could be confused in thinking, oh, the, the motive to please God is something that's just an, an Old Testament thing. Didn't God say to Jesus, he's my beloved son and who I am well pleased and, and if Jesus is our representative and we've been found in Him, is it not true that God always is pleased with us? But think, is it not also true that if the Creator and Maker of this world would enter into the sin and the rebellion of His people, to give himself, to redeem and save us, the greatest gift, the greatest display of love that has been or ever will be demonstrated and shown throughout space, time, and history, and outside of time and history. Should our proper response not be, man, I want to do all that I can to bring delight and glory and pleasure To this one who would extend me such grace and mercy. The New Testament is full of that kind of language. In fact, Jesus says, do you love me? If you love me, keep my commandments. The scriptures also tell us that we can grieve. We can grieve the Holy Spirit through our disobedience and our rejection. Why? We do have secured for us who have trusted and put our faith in Jesus the love of our Heavenly Father. But we can grieve Him. We can bring Him sadness should our motive not be because He, our good and gracious Heavenly Father has given us good commands that we should want to please and delight and honor Him. But we have a hard time with this sometimes, don't we? There's there's times where, where we, like Saul and like the people, can put forth some good reasons for why it's okay for us to disobey commands in the moment. Obedience isn't as important to us. Think about the instruction that God gives His people that when we marry... We're only to marry in the Lord. Believers are to marry believers. That would also extend into dating as well. I mean, dating is just to move your, your, your way towards marriage. So should you, as believers, we also should be dating those who are in the Lord as we're seeking to move towards marriage and find a spouse. But we can begin to think, you know what? I know God says that we, we shouldn't uh, marry unbelievers, but this is be a great opportunity for evangelism. If I date this person or if I marry them, the more time that we spend together, the more opportunity that there's going to be for us to go to church and to have conversations. This is a way to bring this man or this woman to know the Lord. Hear what the Lord is saying. I, de- I desire obedience more than evangelism. Or to, to think about the, the command of remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. A day, the Lord's Day, set aside for, for worship and rest. But think, think about those who excel in sports. and might have the opportunity to play uh, professional sports, particularly in the NFL. All the games are on Sunday. Would take you away from the regular participation in the worship and gathering with God's people and prevent you and others from resting on that day. But you would say, you might say, but think about the platform I could have. A professing believer in Christ who would play in these games before national television audiences, Sunday in and Sunday out. God says, I desire obedience more than mass marketing. Or maybe, to, to, I don't know of any of us who have skills that, that good, maybe let's bring it down to a, 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 different, a different level. Same thing, thinking about the, the Sabbath. It, if I work on Sundays, I can make more money. And if I make more money, I can give more money to the cause of the Lord. Think about how much more I could earn and make and how much more I could contribute to the mission and the work of the church or what missionaries are doing around the world. God would say, that's a very good thing, giving, but I desire obedience more than I desire that sacrifice and that giving. Or uh, think about the the call to to hospitality, but also the warnings that God gives us and saying, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Desire and delight in me more than stuff. But sometimes, in a very similar way, just just like Saul and the people, we can begin to to, to shift things. And uh, wouldn't wouldn't a bigger, nicer house be so good? With a ton of nicer stuff in it? Uh, You know what? What I'll... As I begin to z- desire and long for this, uh, we can begin to, to say, "You know why I should want, why I want this and what we could do with it? We could practice more hospitality and have more people in our home and serve and encourage and love them. Now that's a great and valid motivation, and it can be done and used in that way. but we need to be very careful that what we're not doing, like Saul and the people, is taking our greed and our materialism of wanting the good and the best things and couching it in terms of sacrifice and service for the Lord and and actually baptizing, sanctifying our disobedience. God says, I desire obedience more than sacrifice. As God's people, we need to, to hear and know that these instructions that come from our King as we follow and pursue and obey them, it brings Him delight. But also, notice what's focused on in this passage is not just the importance of obedience, but the seriousness of sin. Again, back to verses twenty-three and 22 and 23. Look at verse 23. Rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, He has also rejected you from being king. Here, uh, God is drawing attention and trying to to draw the people's uh, focus and understanding that we should take our sin seriously. Here, as He's even pointing it out uh, for us to evaluate what's going on with Saul and seeing He's not taking His sin seriously. Notice how that... That comes, that comes up. We, we already looked at this before in verse 9, where it says that Saul spared Agag, which was contrary to the command that God had given him, to devote all of the Amalekites to destruction and all of their, their goods to destruction. Uh, but remember what we saw. What did Saul and the people decide to choose? They just kept the really nice stuff. All the things that were worthless were set aside it's beginning to show that, that Saul's just using that excuse of sacrifice to hide what's deeper in his heart. In fact, we see that Saul's focus is on himself in verse 12. Notice what he does before, before he comes and meets with Samuel. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Saul's focus is not on submitting and honoring God, but it's it's in himself, what he can get for himself, material-wise, but also status-wise and honor. He's not seeking to to honor and glorify the Lord. God is saying, those sins, Saul, are just as serious as if you were seeking uh, to, to discern God's will from someone other than one that God has instructed and given to to give that will. It's like divination. Or do you not not realize that your presumption, your arrogance, your pride, is just as bad as idolatry? Saul, take your own sins seriously. Don't just look around and say, well, I'm not that bad. Look at all those people over there. In fact, that's what he does all through the chapter. Do you notice even in Saul's repentance, Notice how, how often it comes up. How he's he's trying to to just cast uh, cast everything aside. First, uh, in in verse thirteen, what does he say? Blessed be you to uh, to Yahweh, for I have com- I have performed the commandment of Yahweh. He's already dismissing his sin, and Sam was like, oh. You have? What is this I hear? Because you were devoted all to destruction. And what, is, what does Saul do? He doesn't take his own sin seriously. Notice how he responds in verse 15. They. They've done it. It's the people. Look how bad their sin is. I've honored the Lord. It's, it's them. Samuel sees right through it. Look in verse 18. Stop. Stop your excuses. Stop ignoring the serious of your sin. Let me tell you what God told me and how He's evaluating your actions and your heart. You have committed evil before the Lord because you've denied, you've dismissed His commands. But as it, as it continues to go on, Saul doubles down, refusing to acknowledge the seriousness of his sin. Samuel says in verse 19, Why then did you not obey the voice of Yahweh? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of Yahweh? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of Yahweh. God just told him, You didn't. You sinned. But Saul doesn't see it as being serious. And he dismisses it. This happens over and over and over again. Finally, when Saul does, uh, at least verbally, acknowledges sin... His heart also is exposed there. Look down in verse 20. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of Yahweh and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before Yahweh. Here, his focus isn't on sin. It's on the consequences. He's already heard God's rejecting you as being king. Now this motivates his, his language in his saying this. We see this in the fact that when Samuel says no, God has rejected you. He turns away. He grabs hold of Samuel and rips his robe. And Samuel's like, no. God is not going to change his mind. He has torn the kingdom from you. And then finally, Saul expresses really what was on his heart the whole time. Notice in verse 30. I have sinned. Yet, honor me now before the elders. He's just concerned with saving face. He doesn't recognize the seriousness of his sin. Everybody else are the big sinners. He only has a small problem, if any at all. Do you hear, people of God? What what our God and our King is communicating and saying to us, we must take our sin seriously. Do not be concerned with the sin of other people. Do you not realize that your sin, as small and imperceptible as you might see it or or want to acknowledge it, is just as serious and significant as anyone else's sin. You have nothing on which to say that you're better. Nothing on which to 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 have a, a place of any sort of pride or arrogance. It's all swept out from under us. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. In case we miss that, what did it take for you and me to be redeemed? How serious is our sin problem? Bull's blood didn't take care of it. Goat's blood didn't take care of it. Your good works didn't take care of it. You know how serious sin is? The only solution, the only way for you and for me to be delivered from our sin was that God had to take on flesh, become a man, live perfectly, die the death we deserved so that we could be delivered and redeemed. We have a big, big sin problem. One of the things we ask a lot of the kids when they're coming to want to be admitted to uh, the Lord's table and begin to take the Lord's supper is we ask this question Are you a big sinner or are you a little sinner? And hands down, they understand. And every single one has always said, Oh, I'm a big sinner. Are you, am I, a big sinner or a little sinner? God says you need to pay attention and take your sin seriously and not dismiss it because you have your eyes focused on everybody else and you're missing your own sin. But there's, there's another aspect of this passage that I think our attention needs to be drawn. Uh, this wasn't really a big deal for the original audience, but more in our contemporary times, there's trouble, significant trouble with this passage when people hear it. Maybe you had trouble hearing it the first time. These commands. This command that God gave to Saul and the people through Samuel, his prophet. We've already seen, this is the word of the Lord. Look in verse 2. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. many people today have rejected the message of the Bible, the God of the Bible, and anyone who would align themselves with the Bible because they would see commands like this as being advocating genocide, unjust killing and slaughtering of innocent people. In fact, uh, we we've begun to where we've turned ourselves around instead of seeing and recognizing our own sin, now the finger is pointed, who's the sinner in the Bible? It's God. God is the sinner who would declare such a thing like this to happen and occur. In fact, did you see how Samuel responded at the end? He, He comes and he says, bring Agag to me. Agag comes kind of strutting up. And Samuel says, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before Yahweh and Gilgal. Why would I want to obey a God like this? Why would I want to associate myself with such a horrible, vindictive, cruel, oppressive God like this? No thank you. I want a loving God, a gracious God, a peaceful God. But notice what's going on here. It isn't about genocide. It's not about land grabbing. We we can see the the, the distinction here. God gives the instructions. Uh, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. They attacked and assaulted the people of God several hundred years before this when they were coming out. And In fact, when Saul makes this announcement to the Kenites who are dwelling among the Amalekites, he says, come out. We don't want you to also suffer. You didn't respond like this when the people were coming out of Egypt. You responded differently. We see it's, it's not just about going and, and, uh, and just slaughtering people for the sake of doing it. There's something that's going on here. And in fact, the, the language that God uses in speaking through Samuel uh, tells and shows us this. Look in verse 18. This is why this attack, this devotion to destruction is happening. Look in verse 18. Yahweh sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites. This is in response to their sin. You see, their sin was so great that God is saying, I'm going to... Judge the Amalekites for their sin. Uh, even uh, think about uh, all the the controversy from uh, from this this past week with what happened in the uh, in the Oscars when Will Smith uh, slapped Chris Rock. What happened to Will Smith? He didn't get arrested. They didn't press any charges. He finally got dismissed from the uh, the Academy for ten years, but he still got to keep his award you can win win them uh, more later. What would change, though? And instead of slapping Chris Rock, Will Smith or anyone else walked up and slapped a judge, a federal judge, while he was on the bench, or walked up and slapped the President of the United States. You see, the greater the... uh, Offense is, depending on the, the status and who it is that you are, you are offending. God is the infinite one. Do we not think that our, our rebellion, our assault against Him, would deserve something equally in response? In fact, that's what the, the Scriptures tell us, that our sin, we deserve death. In fact, this actually, I would argue, is also a demonstration of God's grace. When did this assault that the Amalekites did happen? Several hundred years before this. For hundreds of years, God has been patient with the Amalekites. They've heard and seen of the mighty acts and works of God. They've doubled down their rebellion against God. God was patient but then came against them an early breaking in of the end time judgment that awaits all who rebel against God. In fact, the recounting of this to us today is evidence of God's grace and His mercy. For He's telling us now, this is what awaits all who persist in their rebellion and do not take their sins seriously. This is not just an Old Testament thing. Listen to what Jesus Says, Jesus was given this parable as He was talking about those who would rebel against Him and His kingship and His ruling over all things. This is in Matthew 24, verse 45 and following. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions." But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus takes the same posture to sin and those in unrepentant, persistent rebellion that Samuel did to Agag. Or listen to these words of Paul, one of, another of Jesus' authorized spokespersons in Second Thessalonians. This is talking about uh, the, the persecution that the church in Thessalonica has experienced. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and the faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Notice that the language that's used to describe this judgment. It's righteous. And it's just. And it is what awaits all sinners who do not put their hope in Jesus. This has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has nothing to do with nationality. It has all to do with rebellion against God. But hear and know this. This judgment that all of us deserve to be eternally devoted to physical destruction and suffering forever away from the presence of our God? God, the gracious and merciful One, has provided a way for us to escape that judgment. It's through the man of his own choosing, the King of God's choosing who had come, who understood the importance of obedience. For He fully and perfectly obeyed everything. He understood the seriousness of sin. For He took our sin upon Himself that He would suffer the destruction that we deserved. The separation from the good presence of our God. It was poured out on Christ in place of you and me. Who is this king? Who would do that? I am guilty of that sin. It's what I should be saying, and I do. But you know what Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive. Accept my sacrifice on their behalf. How serious is our sin? How much more marvelous is the grace and mercy of our God? It is important for us to obey. It is important for us to take our sins seriously. Because Christ is our King, and He suffered to die and redeem sinners like you and like me. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your, your grace and Your mercy to us. Jesus, we thank You uh, that You did not turn away from that mission to redeem and save sinners. Uh, we pray that, that our, our hearts would more and more long to delight You to please You, to honor You, and to live in a way that always brings glory to Your name for Your suffering and redeeming of us. In Your name we pray. Amen.